This episode is brought to you by ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. Enter ServiceNow. It puts AI to work for people, for employees, for developers, and even your customers, removing frustration and supercharging productivity. On our intelligent platform, AI isn't just a promise. It's happening today. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Tap the banner to learn more or visit servicenow.com slash AI for people. Here's a story that may sound familiar to some Silicon Valley founders. Mark Zuckerberg, the CEO of Facebook, invites you to a meeting because he wants to learn a bit more about your startup. At some point in the course of your conversation, you're presented with two options. Sell us your company or try to survive Facebook's intense competition. This is what happened to Evan Spiegel, the founder of Snapchat, When he said no to Facebook's offer to buy his company, he found out firsthand just how aggressive Facebook's competition can be. Wall Street Journal reporters have uncovered that Snapchat has been keeping a secret dossier. In it are all the things Snapchat believes Facebook has done to take them down. And now... They've given this information to government regulators who are investigating whether Facebook went too far with competitors and might have broken antitrust laws. Today on the show, the Snapchat dossier and how it may impact the government's investigations into Facebook. Welcome to The Journal our daily show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. And I'm Ryan Knudsen. It's Monday, September 30th. A lot of people come to the Valley and everybody wants to be the next Facebook. Mm -hmm. That's the goal. The goal is to be a huge success story and make a big impact on the world, go public and become billionaires. Deepa Sitharaman covers tech in San Francisco. Let's talk about Snapchat. How did Snapchat see itself in comparison to Facebook back when Snapchat was first founded? Snapchat really thought that it could be another Facebook, a Facebook for younger people, a communication platform that was completely different and really adapted to the way Gen Z and millennials communicated with one another. And it wanted to be on par with Facebook. How did Facebook see Snapchat? Facebook sees all of these companies that are coming up as potential threats. If you go to Facebook's headquarters, they are based in Menlo Park, and it's the old Sun Microsystems building. And they still keep the sign up from Sun Back in the 1980s, Sun Microsystems was a startup shaking up Silicon Valley with its innovative computers. During the dot-com bubble of the 90s, its market cap eclipsed $200 billion. But then, over the next decade, it was out-competed and out-innovated. It was swallowed up by a rival and pretty much disappeared. Mark wants to remember that every day, the whole enterprise could go away. Some new hot competitor could come in and completely change the dynamic for Facebook. And ultimately, Facebook could fade away in prominence. They are keeping very close track of any company that wants to be the next Facebook. And there was almost no company 
better position than Snapchat in its early days to become the next Facebook. Yeah, Snap was definitely a company that Mark Zuckerberg had his eyes on. It was a company that he was watching very, very carefully. So as Snapchat is rising in its early days, I understand there was a meeting between Mark Zuckerberg, the founder of Facebook, and Evan Spiegel, who's the founder of Snapchat. Can you tell us about that meeting? So our sources describe to us a meeting between Mark Zuckerberg and Evan Spiegel, where Mark expressed an interest in buying Snapchat. Uh, but in one particular meeting, you know, we we have Mark effectively laying out a choice for Evan. And the choice is pretty simple. It's we're offering you a price for your company, or we might copy you, and that could make life pretty difficult. Why do you think Evan Spiegel decided to turn down the money? I think he thought he could do better on his own. You know, I, th- I think he really thought that you know Snapchat was hitting its stride. It had resonated with a group of young people who are using the site every day pretty actively, and he thought that he could do it alone. It also must have been a bit terrifying if you're Evan Spiegel on Snapchat. You've got a fast-growing company, but then Facebook is massive, much larger than Snapchat is. And so here, here is the CEO of Facebook saying, either join us or we will, we will beat you in competition. I imagine it was. I mean, it's not a joke when Facebook trains its eyes on you. And especially somebody like Mark Zuckerberg, who's gained a reputation in the Valley as being a really sharp competitor. You know, somebody who really spots competitive threats and goes after them. So Evan Spiegel and Snapchat say no to Mark Zuckerberg's offer to buy them. And then what happens next? Well, Facebook, of course, owns Instagram. Facebook starts to copy little features that you saw on Snapchat first. So, you know, there are things like stickers, and then there are filters. And in the most notable example is in 2016, when Instagram launches Instagram Stories, which is a near replica of the Snapchat feature of the same name. That's a feature where you can post videos and photos that vanish after about 24 hours. And then they build their own feature, and then in August 2016, they launch it. And it does really well. Facebook has really been under fire to explain its practices. And so, you know, the company has said competition is good. So when two or more companies offer the same feature, it increases competition. So when it comes to the allegation that Facebook relentlessly copied Snapchat, what Facebook is saying is, hey, it's really good if multiple companies are offering stories-like features. That increases consumer choice. That's good. That's not an antitrust concern. But you've also started to discover some additional things that Snapchat says Facebook was doing to try to prevent them from succeeding. Right. One of the big vectors for success for all of these social platforms is influencers. So you want to have a critical mass of really popular accounts, accounts that, you know, people want to see and that they're interested in and personalities. And a lot of influencers were highlighting their Snapchat presence on Instagram. So they would find all these different ways to link between their Instagram page and Snapchat. And then they would say, you know, follow us there. We have really fun content. And the Instagram 
partnerships people, the that team, wasn't super happy about it. They didn't like the idea of Instagram being used as a springboard for Snapchat's growth. So our understanding from talking to a lot of sources who were around this particular situation and knew about these discussions is Instagram would sit down with these influencers and say, hey, listen, you know, we really love that you're on the platform, but we're not super happy about the fact that you're connecting your Instagram page with Snapchat. Mm -hmm. And in some of these conversations, our understanding is that the Instagram partnerships folks were saying that connecting Snapchat to Instagram too much would hurt influencers' chance to be verified or would hurt their verified status. Mm-hmm. That's a little blue check mark, right, next to their name on Instagram? That's right. Mm-hmm. Just a blue check mark, but it can mean the difference between zero dollars and hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands, and some, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in paid deals. Mm-hmm. And so, Taking that little check mark away is a really big deal for an influencer. And so there was, you know, one of my sources described these conversations to me where the tone was something like, that's a nice blue check mark you've got there. It'd be a shame if something happened to it <laughs> like that. <laughs> really? No kidding. It actually, that type of language. Yeah. Another thing is, you know, Snap executives thought that at a certain point, Instagram was blocking Snap-related hashtags or anything from trending. Instagram executives were purposefully making that hard for Snap-related content, that they were blocking it from going viral. And this is just from, you know, their standpoint. And But at the same time, there's the Facebook angle, right? Facebook's under no obligation to help their competitor grow. Mm-hmm. They're, under, they're under no obligation to ensure that Snapchat succeeds. And then uh, in 2016, Facebook makes it official, and they broadly discourage influencers from linking to their Snapchat presence on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And that's an example of a, a situation where Facebook is using its size to try to prevent another company from growing. Basically preventing anybody on Instagram from using their existing social network from transferring it over to Snapchat instead. Yeah, exactly. And then soon after that, you know, Instagram starts its own version of stories. It's sort of detected from these conversations with influencers that that was a feature on Snapchat that they really liked. They also were able to see through their internal tools that Snapchat users loved the stories feature and then they replicated it on their own site. One question people started to wonder was, how did Facebook get that level of detail about how users behaved on competing apps? What exactly were those internal tools that helped Facebook know what Snapchat users loved on Snapchat? The answer lies in a company that Facebook acquired in 2013, which has since become controversial. It's called Onavo. It's an Israeli company that created an app called Onavo Protect. It was billed as a data security app. It created a virtual private network. But what that basically does is it would take all the internet traffic from a specific phone and redirect it to a private server. And in this case, that server belonged to Facebook. So every time an Onavo user opened up Snapchat or opened up Twitter, opened up you know, any number of other apps beyond Facebook, Facebook was able to get a picture of how frequently they were opening that app, how much time they were spending in that app, and some sense of demographic information. You know, like, is it a man or a woman? What age group might they fall into, et cetera? Facebook was able to use Onavo to get detailed insight, 
not only into which rival apps people were opening, but also detailed information on how they were using them. And at a certain point, they were able to actually get information as granular as the number of messages people were sending on Snap a day or the amount of time that a user was spending in just Snapchat stories every day. They weren't able to see the content itself, right? They're not looking at the picture that you're sending your friend on Snap, but they are seeing that you have sent several messages to that friend on Snap. That does sound like an incredibly granular picture into someone's user behavior on their smartphone, which makes me yeah. wonder why was it that anybody would have downloaded this app Onavo Protect onto their phones in the first place? Well, they didn't know that it was being used in this way for Facebook's competitive intelligence. Should say one thing, which is Facebook says and has repeatedly said that they were clear in telling users how their data was used, that it was in the terms of service. Terms of service, meaning the fine print, in other words. But what was, yeah. it, what was it that people were hoping to get by using Onavo Protect? What was the pretext by which they were using it. It was a virtual private network, like a VPN app. So uh -huh. it, it basically promised that, hey, rather than having your information go ping off servers of unknown security and privacy, we will protect your data. We will redirect your traffic to our own secured private servers so that your phone is more secure, so your information is more private. It was literally billed as a data security app. I see. Because I just want to make sure that I'm understanding this. There's an app in the App Store that says that if you download this app and use this app, we will help protect your data and keep your data more private. But then Facebook bought that company and routed your data through Facebook so that Facebook could see what you were doing, which seems to completely undermine the whole idea of privacy that Onavo Protect was saying that it was all about. Yep. I think a lot of people would agree. If you're Facebook, your argument back is, this is a market research tool. Mm -hmm. Market research tools work like this. Lots of people use market research tools, right? But, you know, after a lot of discussion last August, Apple told Facebook, we don't think that this particular app complies with our rules. And so Facebook removed it from the App Store. And then Google followed suit this, this February. Mm -hmm. So Facebook no longer has this tool. Right. Facebook no longer has this tool that was really critical to its competitive analysis capabilities over the last several years. Did, did Facebook use Onavo for anything else? Onavo was used to assess potential acquisition targets. And so WhatsApp is probably one of the biggest examples of that. Facebook used the Onavo data to see that lots of people were using WhatsApp. Facebook used Onavo to figure out that 99% of Android users in Spain were using WhatsApp. And it proved to Facebook that this, this was a company that could change the way a country communicated. So they tried to buy it. It sounds like Onavo was really a critical tool for Facebook because they used it to see that WhatsApp was way more popular than people were aware of, and so they acquired it. And then they also used Onavo to see how people were using Snapchat, and they could use that information to defend themselves from this, this fast-growing rival. Right. My sources have described to me the importance of Onavo. It was a part of every strategy deck almost, every internal product deck that Facebook used internally. 
So while, while Facebook is, is doing all this to try to stop the growth of Snapchat, how is Snapchat responding? They're taking notes. Snap over the years has gotten increasingly irritated by the extent to which they feel Facebook has copied them. They just feel like there's a lot of different actions that Facebook is taking to undermine their business that doesn't sit right. And so they create a Google document. They start to document all the different things that Facebook is doing that they feel undercuts their business. And they call that document Project Voldemort. Voldemort is in the antagonist in the Harry Potter movies. He who shall not be named. That is right. He who shall not be named. What's in the Project Voldemort dossier and what it means for the government's antitrust investigations into Facebook? That's after the break. This episode is brought to you by Workday. Get the whole band together with Workday and pair finance and HR on one platform for an epic performance. With Workday AI at the core, you'll make confident decisions faster than ever, and you'll drive flawless business and finance operations with an agile platform that constantly evolves to future-proof your organization. Be a finance and HR rock star with Workday. Visit Workday.com to learn more. Welcome back. After Evan Spiegel rebuffed Mark Zuckerberg's efforts to buy the company, all of Facebook's tactics to disrupt Snapchat eventually caught the attention of Snapchat's lawyers. So the lawyers started a dossier that listed each of these actions and named it Project Voldemort. What does this dossier allege? What's in it? At a high level, what you're looking at is a blow-by-blow accounting of all the different ways Facebook has tried to undermine Snap. It's everything that Facebook has ever done to try to take down one of its biggest competitors. What makes this document so significant? Well, a couple of things. One, it shows that Snap has been taking notes for a pretty long time, uh, comprehensive notes about all the different things that Facebook has done to undermine its business. But another reason it's really significant is that Snap is talking to the Federal Trade Commission for their antitrust investigation. And Snap is talking about the practices outlined in Project Voldemort to the FTC directly. Because the FTC and other government investigators are essentially trying to build a case that Facebook could potentially be in violation of antitrust laws. Right. So there is this internal effort at Snap that's been going on for years that is finally getting to see the light of day because current and former Snap executives are talking to the FTC about some of these practices. Yeah, they finally got someone to complain to. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there hasn't been a lot of antitrust interest in the tech industry until the last couple of years. And now there are serious antitrust investigations underway. I mean, the FTC is one. You you know, we have the state attorneys general have gotten together and agreed to investigate, you know, big tech and uh, antitrust concerns around them. There's the House Judiciary Committee that is also looking at big tech and has made document requests of these companies. 
companies. But the FTC is different from the House because they have enforcement power. Mm -hmm. They can actually affect changes at these companies. So the fact that the FTC is looking at Facebook pretty seriously is is a big deal. And that means Snap finally has an audience. Mm -hmm. After you published your story about Project Voldemort, was there any reaction? Yeah, I mean, we got... A lot of reaction, and including one from the co-founder of a company called Vine. If you remember Vine, it was six-second videos. Mm-hmm. It was really fun. It launched in about 2013. Uh, Twitter ultimately bought it, and it was ultimately killed a few years ago. But when Vine launched, it was really popular. But one of the co-founders tweeted to say Instagram blocked hashtag Vine from trending on Instagram Mm -hmm. right after the company launched. Which was something they allegedly did with Snapchat. Exactly. You know, Vine is just a company, one company, but it shows potentially that Facebook executives picked winners and losers. The Facebook response to that is why should Facebook be in a position to support a competitor? Why should they do that? In response to this, a Facebook spokesperson told the journal that, quote, the allegation that we block links or hashtag searches because they are from competitors is simply false. Typically, it's because a hashtag is violating our content policies. So what do we know about what's next for the FTC's antitrust investigation? Antitrust law around this, according to some of the sources and lawyers and government officials that we've talked to, antitrust law is a little hard to prove. It can be hard to prove that Facebook is a monopoly and used its monopolistic behavior in ways to squash the competition. There's a lot of things you need to prove. You need to prove intent. You need to prove motive or desire to block a competitor. Can you prove that through documentation? You need an email from Mark Zuckerberg or another Facebook executive that says, you know, we are buying company X because they're the competition and we want to stamp out the competition. When I talk to antitrust experts, they make it clear that you need real evidence linking an acquisition or a move with motive. That's very hard to prove. You know, and and so what Project Voldemort will contain is a lot of documentation of the way Snapchat believed Facebook hurt them. It's certainly part of the body of evidence around Facebook's tactics. And what's the remedy? What do you do? Do you break Facebook up into Instagram, WhatsApp, and Facebook? I mean, that's on the table. A lot of people are talking about it. How that actually gets done and whether that's lawful and whether that's necessary is still very much up for debate. Mm -hmm. It sounds like that could be on the more sort of extreme end. Right. That's on the more extreme end is just breaking up Facebook. But it's increasingly part of the discussion. I mean, last week when Mark Zuckerberg was meeting different lawmakers on Capitol Hill, he sat with Senator Josh Hawley, who's a Republican from Missouri. And Senator Hawley urged him to consider breaking up Facebook. And Mark Zuckerberg said, no, the company's stance is pretty clear. They think all these different services should rest under one umbrella, and that umbrella should be Facebook. If breaking up Facebook is the most extreme thing the government could do, what is the least extreme thing that they could do? You know, a lot of those options are just being hashed out now. There could be more regulation around Facebook. There could be a more focused eye on the way Facebook handles the competition. A lot of people expected more vigorous rules and changes to Facebook as part of the FTC's privacy investigation, which also happened earlier this year, uh, and they didn't get it. 
you know, what they got was a $5 billion fine and and what a lot of critics of Facebook say was a, kind of a light slap on the wrist. And so it's super unclear what the range of options are. It could, it could range from a full breakup, which is on a more extreme level, to just a, a couple more rules that govern the way Facebook observes the competition. It seems like one of the things that made Facebook so effective early on is buying potential rivals and competing with them aggressively. It helped Facebook succeed, but now in many ways it's coming back to haunt them because they've really created a lot of enemies. Yep, that's exactly right. I mean, Facebook is a ruthless competitor, and they got to a place where one in four people on Earth, a quarter of humanity— uses one of their services at least once a day. So they've gone beyond just a social network, but really to be critical infrastructure for the modern world. Definitely. The counter-argument is they're not a competitor because they're the whole market. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, what do you, how are, how could you consider these smaller new companies that are up and coming to be competitors anymore? In its investigation into Facebook, the Federal Trade Commission is casting a wide net. Wall Street Journal reporting shows that in recent months, the FTC has contacted dozens of app developers and both tech executives who have sold companies to Facebook and tech executives whose startups have become defunct after competing with Facebook. The discussions have focused on Facebook's aggressive tactics, including its use of Onavo. Snapchat and its Project Voldemort are just one piece of that puzzle. That's all for today, Monday, September 30th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.